You're listening to the Magic Media Podcast, bringing you the latest news, stories, and insights about the ever-growing gaming, tech, and entertainment industry. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the magic. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Magic Media Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Farrell, and I have another really insightful episode for you all. I'll be speaking to my guest, Martin Fabichak, who's the CTO of Stardew Studios and Magic Media. Stardew provides a full range of amazing game development, QA, co-dev, game porting, and art services. Martin himself has over 15 years of experience in the industry and gave me an excellent insight into the world of game development, as well as talking about his own personal experiences in the industry. But first, here's the latest stories and news in the industry. In our first story, newly released cap-based sci-fi platformer Stray is now ranked as the best Steam game of 2022 based on user reviews. Developed by Blue 12 Studio and published by Annapurna Interactive, the game was released on July 19th for PlayStation 4, PS5, Microsoft Windows and has now overtaken Sony Santa Monica's Norse adventure God of War on Steam. A recent report stated that just 7 days after its launch, Stray has 46,244 votes from players, totaling an overall score of 8.61, or to put it more simply, 98% of players say they like it. That means Stray narrowly beats God of War, which, since January, when it was ported over to Steam from the PS4, has picked up 53,182 user votes, for an overall rating of 8.56, or 97 approval from players. The story follows a stray cat who falls into a walled city populated by robots, machines, and viruses and sets out to return to the surface with the help of a drone companion called B12. Marvel fans should be excited for our next story as a recent leak has revealed that a brand new game in the Marvel Comics Black Panther franchise might be seeing the light of day at some point in the near future. According to insider sources, the game will be a big open world Black Panther game, where the player takes on the role of the eponymous superhero. While open world in format, the game will apparently follow in the footsteps of the popular game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, featuring a story-driven and character-focused gameplay with a linear plot structure. The news has recently been revealed from inside sources just hours after Black Panther Wakanda Forever received its first official trailer at San Diego Comic-Con last weekend. And wrapping up our final story, Magic Media are delighted to share that we will be attending XDS with a booth in Canada. The External Development Summit, or XDS, is an annual event that focuses on external development for art, animation, audio, software engineering, QA, and localization. The event will be taking place from September 7th to 9th in beautiful Vancouver, so be sure to stop by and say hello if you're attending. We hope to see you all in person. Keep an eye out on our social media accounts over the coming weeks as we'll be sharing more details about the event. Well, that's all we have time for with our news section, but don't worry, we'll be keeping you all up to date in our social media accounts, so be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram so you don't miss out. Up next, I'll be joined by my guest Martin, who'll be sharing insights into the enticing world of game development. It's a really interesting discussion, so let's dive right in. Hi Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me on the latest episode of the Magic Media Podcast. As always, we like to start off the episode by introducing our guests to our listeners. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and Starloop Studios? Hi Josh, it's an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you very much for the invite. So yeah, I'm Martin, I'm the CTO at Magic Media and Starloop. And uh, Starloop Studios is an uh, uh, outsourcing company um, located uh, uh, all across the globe with more than 150 people now uh, doing basically outsourcing for um, other game studios or other companies interested in making games. Mm-hmm. And we're doing everything from art, design, uh, visual effects, programming, 
uh, for backend, frontend, pretty much anything that involves making a game, we can do it. Yeah, wow. That, and you guys are just constantly busy. Just it, It's incredible the amount of work that you guys do. Obviously, I was doing my research and uh, I was looking at your background. I was blown away by your experience. Like you have an amazing background with 15 years of game development and software engineering. I'd just love to know where did your passion for game development begin? Uh, very, very early. Um, I cannot even say that, but I just know that I always wanted to make games. Yeah. And I never thought it would be possible actually because I was I'm from Brazil, right? And back into, you know, early 2000s, there was maybe three or four studios in Brazil only. Mm-hmm. And of course, like big studios that uh, not, not not that big, right? Big for Brazil meaning 20, 30 people. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, there wasn't a lot of positions and all of that. Uh but I always knew that I wanted to make it something related to games. So my original plan as a teenager was to to be to learn how to code and to be good at math so that I could work on something like a game engine or something like this, uh, probably for a company on the US or or UK or something like this, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I chose my, my college being exactly mathematics apl- applied to computers. Uh, but from there, yeah, I got lucky and, and, and uh, I joined a very small studio that were doing like advert games. Uh, but yeah, the passion was always there. I never saw myself doing anything else other than games. <laughs> and uh, so, what, in your opinion, what makes a good game? Like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that this is going to vary from different people. And like, some people would say, you know, it's good storytelling, it's good development. You know, it, it's loads of different things. But like, in, it, what makes a good game for you? Um, what have you thought has always made a good game? Uh, it's, I've, uh, yeah, very. I think sub- very subjective and very personal i think for me is 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 games that has some sort of hook and uh you want to keep playing right basically on everything that you said right some games you're going to be hooked by the story some games by the the uh the gameplay itself some games on how hard it is right like the the soulsborne uh series and all of that so i think it and that's very personal right uh my wife has of course different hooks that i have um mm-hmm. and uh for me a game is good i think is uh, when you finish it uh, just like a good book right you finish it and you are kind of sad that you finish it but happy that you got it through yeah yeah you really um it shows that you really enjoy the journey along and uh that that that's a real um a real mark on its storytelling and like replay value and stuff. So yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. Uh, and the common question most gamers usually ask repeatedly is, um, why do AAA games take so long to make? <laughs> yeah, this is very, very interesting, right? And I would, I would say that any type of game takes a lot of time to take, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my previous company, we always said that uh, the the first 90% was easier than the second 90% because <laughs> uh, um, everything is very, very difficult to create, right? Uh, so, but it's particular to ways, right? You're, you're talking about literally dozens or at least, or, or even hundreds of people, right? And and mm. they have to communicate each other. They have to have a, you know, a clear vision of what to do from a macro to a to a macro strategy to a micro strategy right in terms of you know what the game is going to be about uh from so from yeah very big topics like that mm-hmm. to very small things like you know how 
each one of the main things should work in this particular scene that I'm creating or this particular cutscene or this particular dialogue that I'm creating, right? And all of that needs to be kind of synced into a vision. Mm -hmm. And uh, transferring this vision to everyone is something that is really, really, really difficult, right? Uh, in the beginning of a game, you know, uh, as, as, as even if you're doing, you know, like a game and, and you're trying to communicate this vision and you have a game design document and a PowerPoint presentation and all of that, you know, each person will have in their heads what the game should be. Mm -hmm. And to unify that in a way that everyone is kind of going to the same direction is, is very, very difficult, right? Like communication is exponential and being able to communicate that to, to uh, tens or, or, or hundreds of people is borderline impossible right yeah uh, but of course a lot of people do it and they, they 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 do it in different ways right that's why there are many different studios with many different uh like let's say project management methods and all of that so that this vision gets through across the right people when that people you know gets through across the next set of people and all of that right mm -hmm. so i think that that's you know a very difficult thing to, to master and and no one has mastered this yet right like even extreme big studios they always have issues with direction communication and all of that right yeah and and not to mention you know the technical part of it right like uh, uh nowadays you have you know 4k and 8k monitors you have graphic cards that are doing billions of calculations a second the expectations of the market is huge right uh, you know every time there is a new game that is like a blockbuster the the, the expectations for the next one is even bigger right oh, in yeah. terms of of market and all of that right like you know gta 6 cannot be worse than gta 5 right yeah. like that, so uh, imagine the amount of work that they're putting on gta 6 after 10 years of people playing G gta 5 right and being extremely successful at it right um, so the technical work of, you know, creating a 3D model, a, a, a animation, lightning, you know, basically from the beginning to end to end up in a game, mm -hmm. it's huge. And it's becoming more and more difficult every year because of these expectations from the public and also because of the power that we have in, in our hands, right? Making sure that all of those things are in sync and together and you have, you know, the people that are right for the job and they know what to do, that takes time. So that's why... Mm -hmm. Every single game takes a lot of time to to to, to concept and create and, and launch. Yeah, and I, I suppose it it applies not just to, to video games, but like to pretty much every kind of product that you're trying to sell in general, or even like films and stuff. Like where the viewer or player's mindset is usually bigger is better, and you know, like companies are always trying to learn from that. They're always trying to like up their game, like you were saying about GTA there. That like you know they're obviously going to try and do the best big thing, but that can be sometimes more difficult. And what stage of the game development life cycle do you think is the most important and why? Like, I know it's another subjective question, but yeah, I'm curious to know. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely subjective, I think. And also, of course, depends on the project and, it, and probably even the studio that is creating. In my opinion, mm -hmm. it, it's pre-production, right? In pre-production, you are basically putting all the pieces together. So, you know, the designers are trying to you know, find out what is the game that we want to build, uh, have details to the the broad pictures that they have in their heads. Uh, most times, or, or uh, at least sometimes, you are creating small prototypes to prove that that vision is actually fun and can be mm. extensible, right? Uh, people on product management or business are trying to identify, you know, is that product that we're going to create, you know, going to be uh, profitable or, you know, what are the ways that we can monetize this 
in a way that, of course, this this can game can be profitable and can be a success in the market. You know, how many people do we have to reach? Um, the art side is is creating all the art direction and tools and uh, you know color scheme and basically you know the whole basically a, a art document of you know what is the direction we're gonna follow and what is the vision for this artistic endeavor that they're gonna take. Uh, mm -hmm. And on the technical side, besides creating all of those and, and supporting everyone, you're also defining all the technologies, costs, and everything involved into making the project, right? So if it's a multiplayer project, if a single player project is kind of an MMO, like, right? All of that you need to consider and to use or create technologies. And that could, you know, vastly change the timeline or the costs or how many people you need, or even the experience uh, that, that mm -hmm. for the people that you need, right? So a good pre-production basically saves a lot of headaches for everyone involved in the product. Uh, later on yeah yeah i can imagine um and you can talk uh, in your current role as well and with starloop and even from your previous experiences what systems you use to create game concepts and story characters yeah uh there is a you know if you're talking here more about let's say story driven games and all of that there are several tools uh paid or not in the market if i'm not mistaken and it can be wrong here most studio like big studios triple uh, a studios they have their own tools for this because of course each studio has their own requirements for the type of story that they do mm -hmm. and in some studios like ubisoft i saw lectures of them of how they create stories and how they create cutscenes in uh, assassin's creed for instance and they have like a very big automation for that even so it's very interesting uh, on, on how each studio uh, uh creates this type of, of things and, and, and approach this type of problem, right? Yeah. Uh, like the game concept itself, right? I, I see a lot of uh, like uh, like vanilla software like that everyone uses, like, you know, Confluence and Jira and stuff like this. So, so just basically creating this, uh, this this concept of the game itself. A lot of um, Photoshop, of course, you know, time, in terms of, you know, trying to create sketches for people to kind of visualize what they are trying to say. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, there is some interesting softwares like uh, Figma, uh, Miro, that are also enabling people to, to have this joint vision together, which is very, very interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, that's being used a lot, actually. To, to create this, you know, uh, not necessarily the game concept, but, you know, this kind of, let's say, a high-level game design document, right, a GDD, right. in terms of, like, just putting together a few things that when you bet your eye, you can kind of picture the game in your head, right? And, yeah, like I said, Figma and, and Miro are very good at those things. Uh, and story itself, uh, again, very different, but there are a lot of, like, nowadays, for instance, one of the things that is very interesting, and I worked a little bit with it, is softwares for, uh, you know, writing a, a story into the game and having like uh, like branching on the story and items that you pick up and all of that. So there are some some even tools uh, called Yarn or Ink that you can write the story and then use as a kind of a framework into your game. And that will help you create a, a very cool story which you can have several different super complex uh, criteria on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, be successful. So instead of doing like a very hard-coded logic, you have... Um, tools like this, which helps you a lot. Cool, cool. And then, like, apart from character and setting, then uh, what do you think is the other main element of storytelling in a video game? It's a very, very interesting question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think that uh, overall, you know, uh, um, I think multi I think different games have different goals with their storytelling, right? Uh, mm -hmm. 
like some games they have sto like storytelling just you know kind of a reason for you to play right or not even that right yeah uh, uh, <laughs> like you know uh, like like super mario strikers right they don't even bother of having anything there because it's just so ludicrous that you know it doesn't even have to 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 have any story yeah. in there <laughs> yeah uh, but some games of course you know like uh, they they try uh, uh they, they want to 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 express a character uh, sorry they want to express a full story um of what they're trying to do and create right i think that a big element nowadays are are and, and something that is being studied for a long time in video games is emotions right yes uh so you know uh, uh like um like animations like uh, like facial animations and and voice actors i think are kind of where everything is is nowadays right to the point that uh the character the, 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 the actors that are doing video games they're becoming super famous right like troy baker mm. uh that 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 was in uh, last of us and the other not game not Dog games like like uncharted he's in a lot of games because you know he's so good at it and he's specifically it that um yeah a lot of studios are using him because yeah he's he's one of the best he's a, he's a good actor yeah, yeah he's he's one of the best the same with like um is it nolan north as well yeah uh, exactly. he's another big one um yeah like i'm i'm, I'm big into voice actors as well so uh but yeah i suppose emotion would be probably one of the like the biggest aspects um and especially with like trying to connect with your audience you know people want game of the year they want good storytelling they want memorable stories and scenes and so like you know there's always going to be people that are constantly replaying these clips on youtube just to go back and even if they're not reliving the moment playing the game but it's uh more to connect with the game yeah very good and and i've heard before that the game development process is never as easy as one two three like uh there are plenty of obstacles such as burnout deadlines changing design requirements that every company has faced and will face but a vast majority of the time they always overcome these problems would you be able to break down some of these challenges your team have faced and overcome yeah, I I think all of that that you said uh, happens in probably every project, right? Uh, there is a saying that you know every software project is late to two months uh, mm -hmm. because yeah, it's it's virtually impossible to human to humanly comprehend everything you have to do, right? In a game or or even a software or anything like this, right? It's very very difficult to predict everything that is gonna happen. It's impossible, right? Yeah. Uh, especially you know coming back to the other question where everything's so complex and the, the expectations are so high also in technical terms and all of that right uh mm -hmm. so you know from multiplayer games you know nowadays that before they were local right like literally local in your sofa right co-op games and now they're multiplayer but now they have also the global element so people from different parts of the world playing together uh before because before, right, for instance, in, in the early days of World of Warcraft, you had, you know, the European server and the, the US server and all of that, right? Now, mm -hmm. a lot of games are trying to do that more, even global, right? So all along, all of the expectations are always increasing and increasing. And uh, we, we had to come uh, uh, a few of this. I, I think a nice example that we had was it was a multiplayer game that uh, basically we didn't take in account uh, um, this complexity of people playing uh, across different countries and all of that. So, you know, when you played with someone in your country, that was good. But since the game is not made for a very broad audience, um, mm. there was a lot of chances that no one was willing to play. So we had to do, do like more of a global thing. So basically we had to prepare a whole, uh, like a bunch of servers all across the world. And then every time you log into the game, you check 
uh, what is the earlier uh, uh, the, the one that is near to you like the, the server which is near to you and then we try yeah. to find basically the best player in the best server to play with you um so you know that alone took weeks to do and make sure yeah. that it was working right for for our players and then even measuring right like through statistics through analytics if that was actually a positive change for our players or not right if players were more engaged in the game or not because of these changes right yeah it's a gamble so this is just one example of, of like a, a like a seemingly small thing right in terms of like ah, i want to play multiplayer not with my colleague but with someone from you know asia and that detail alone makes weeks and weeks of worth of work more on our plates right um and that was something that you know like uh it took time for us to to realize that the requirements for that particular project required this mm. but I, I suppose like how complex and challenging that was i suppose it was very rewarding once you actually got it resolved and figured out wow <laughs> uh and in a previous episode um i was joined by starly producer uh Zradko milinovic who provided me and our listeners with an excellent insight into the world of video game production uh he described the pipeline as something similar to running a ship with development and production being the captains of that ship. I was wondering if you could share your thoughts about this analogy. Yeah, very interesting analogy. Um, I think I thought a little bit about it already, and I think it depends even in the, in the size of the project. I would say that in a larger project, uh, like more AAA project, mm. uh, I, I would say that uh, uh, the production could be the captain, but uh, uh, the the like the director of the game would be kind of that guy that stays on the mast looking ahead, right? Like yeah. he's always looking ahead to see if we're going to crash something, right? So that guy is one of the most important ones in any game because he's giving the direction, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, I always think that that is one of the most important things, if not the most important things, because if you ha- you can have you know everything written down, like good ideas and all of that, but there are so many details that comes into day-to-day, and if no one is holding this vision uh, together, uh, you're going to start making wrong decisions. And I've been through there multiple times, like in projects that people try to spread this ownership right of like oh i'm on this part of the game and you own that part of the game so since there was no people person that was the whole captain or the whole i, I don't know captain is not this guy but you know this whole uh, uh guy on the mask looking forward yeah. uh, uh, uh since no one was this person um yeah we we hit so many problems that eventually the project got cancelled right oh. um and i i think that uh, yeah the captain would be pretty much the, the 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 producers right in terms of making small decisions and making the decisions of where we're we're gonna go based on the vision right mm-hmm. and uh developers are are definitely uh the people working below the ship right we are uh, making sure that everything is working that, that the ship's sailing that we are ready to battle if needed that we you know if there is no wind we can put the the oars out and 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 you know paddle ourselves right so basically we're just making sure that the boat uh, can do whatever the boat needs to do right so uh, yeah i think it's more on that sense well uh this analogy certainly confirmed that uh ga- everyone involved in the gaming industry will be remarkable pirates um and sailormen <laughs> um, so uh i'm gonna change it up a little, a little bit now and just kind of talk a bit about yourself um and your, your role so what does a day in the life of a cto usually entail yeah, very very nice question. Um, it's uh, a lot of uh, small things, I would say. Uh, you're trying to help everyone 
mm-hmm. you're trying to to unblock everyone. That's I, I think a very important word here. <laughs> so you know there is always work that you're doing for projects, and at the same time there is always work that you're doing for for your own company, right? Creating uh, small projects or 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 moving ahead some some studies, researches, or technologies that you need to do, you know, to be better um, at, at work uh, at, at some point uh, in time in the future, you know, studying uh, new tools that are in the market, you know, stuff like this. So you always need to unblock people, right? So if you're doing something like a research or something like this, you know, talking to these people every single day to make sure that we are in the right direction and that whatever they found out doesn't block us from continuing on that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and having the having the feeling or knowing that someone cannot work because they depend on you uh, is very hard. So you know, you spend a lot of time of your day unblocking people in these internal projects and on the external projects, trying to provide um, also directions and and knowledge. Um, to people doing something right so when you know that they are doing a particular feature or something uh you know try to help them in the best way that you can uh depending of course on the risk of the feature again coming back to multiplayer that's something that is extremely difficult and hard to do so Mm -hmm. more support is there is needed while in a smaller feature of let's say a simple ui implementation that's not that risky right i'm not saying it's easy but it's not risky to the point that you need help or you need to talk a lot about this with a lot of people right Mm -hmm. Um, you are also, of course, talking to a lot of clients. Uh, so, uh, a CTO, I'm talking to uh, our customers uh, at Starloop, uh, both to you know make sure that uh, we understand everything exactly what they want us to do. I'm talking to their technical departments or technical partners to 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 make sure that we are you know doing in the way that they expect and that they, we're not going to have any surprises in the future when we need to integrate something, for instance. Um, and also, uh, particularly uh, uh, in games, I think that happens a lot. Uh, since we you know we just talk about production and uh, uh, development being so so attached one to another, right? Yeah. So a CTO also I think has a lot of connection to producers, right? Also helping them define uh, the next steps because um, you know in products you, all, you always in technical products you always have. Um, the requirements, right? So what we want to do to, to make this game or this product succeed, but you always have no visible requirements, right? So it's, it's things that you need to do in order to achieve the goal, but that is not visible for the user, right? Mm. So in, in games you have, I would say that at least, I don't know, 30, 40% of the requirements are non-visible requirements, right? So like the user, we have to do them and that has absolutely no impact for the final user, but they have a lot of impact for the developers being able to create the game, right? So this is something that I'm also helping a lot, all the teams and producers to find out what are the non-technical requirements so that we don't hit again a blocker in, in a few weeks and then we can need to stop because something got so bad. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's, it sounds like a very, very busy and helpful role. Um, and you kind of touched upon it here, which kind of bleeds into my next question. And it's also ties back to like your varied background working with some um, big brands. Do you have any other memorable stories you'd like to share um, where you've had to be that helping hand and that support? Yeah, there are, uh, I think, uh, very, uh, very good stories uh, uh, that uh, always happen. And sometimes you you remember mm. uh, things from the past and remember the problems that you had and, and how, uh, yeah, how interesting that it was at the time, maybe how difficult that it was at the time and how maybe 
uh, even even it being a big problem at the time now you you see this with some sort of you know nostalgia or or nostalgia or or uh, uh, you know uh, some sort of uh, like uh, missing that time right so yeah rose tinted glasses kind of thing yeah yeah exactly yeah. so uh, for instance uh, when I had a, a company in Brazil we were doing um, and that was back in 2010 I think. Uh, uh, we were doing a, a farm game, just like you know, farm view and all of that, but based on on uh, on a Brazilian IP. Oh, cool. Uh, so it was only for the, the Brazilian market, uh, but very big IP for the Brazilian market. And we were doing kind of this farm game and all of that. And I remember that you know we were I don't know a couple of months away from launch, and uh, still the game was very very shaky, right? Like uh, we we had a lot of systems and all of that, but we didn't have a lot of content. Oh. Um, so we we created like we stopped creating manually the content and we stopped to do uh, um, a tool that would help us create this this content easily and we, we decided to create kind of a web tool and then someone had a very good idea of like exporting some things from the game and and and, and uh, putting that together in the tool and i remember that you know me and other three four guys were uh in the company late and working saturdays working sunday to make that work and once that worked I don't know, in a couple of weeks, we pretty much had the whole game done uh, content-wise because the tool was so good at doing that that uh, we could have you know, the content and we could now create stories because it was a story-driven hmm. uh, kind of farm view game. So from that point on, creating a story was, was super easy. Um, so yeah, that was something that it, at the time, you know, we barely knew if we could make it and maybe we would have to come to our client and say, hey, we cannot do this in two months. We would have, you know, we need... I don't know, six months more. But then thanks to a lot of very small but very good ideas, we put everything together and we were able to uh, yeah, launch the game at the time that we needed with the content that we were expecting. Uh, so that was that was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. And um, you, you kind of touched upon it there, but your, your background um, with your education stuff. Uh, so from like a coding and programming aspect, how do you become a game developer? I'm sure people listening that anyone that's an aspiring game developer would like to know if you have any like top tips or any advice that you can give. Yeah. Um, in the end of the day, I think it's just like any other skill, right? It's practice. Mm -hmm. uh, programming is, is, is a lot of endless coding, right? So when I was in college, I was, you know, doing my, my, my classes, I was working full time and I was coding as a hobby, you know, because I really wanted to get good at it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really wanted to learn as maximum as I could so that I could land a job somewhere. Um, so, you know, co you have to, to code a lot. You have to choose a path uh, and uh, go into the path. So if you want a game development, right? So there is a lot of, uh, for instance, engines that can help you uh, put you on a path which is more motivating because you are, you're going to see results faster, right? Mm -hmm. So creating something like, you know, Unity, for instance, which is uh, has, uh, I would say, that a low ceiling when learning and, and, and trying to do something there, right? You can see something visual very, very quickly, even if you don't know how to program at all, just by doing some tutorials and all of that, you already grasp a little bit of how things work and you connect one thing to another. And that's pretty cool, right? Because, you know, like when I started uh, uh, back in 2005, for instance, the more visual thing that we had at it was Flash at the time. Oh, yeah. And that was already amazing because you could do some really cool stuff 
very fast, right? Faster than doing, you know, with with low level things like OpenGL and DirectX and all of that, which is I, I don't even know how to do those. <laughs> I, I never did those do do this type of of, of uh, low level game development, right? Uh, and then, uh, but of course, Flash had a lot of uh, problems with 3D and all of that, right? That was not something that you could do at the day. So I always bounded by that technology. Mm-hmm. Now, 15 years later, you have Unity, you have Unreal, which has a lot of really cool resources to learn, right? So I would say that if you want to do a game develop, become a game developer, you know, making games and learning to do something fast uh, and, and doing something actually by looking at these tutorials and trying to modify it so that you see changes on the screen while you're doing it, I think that's very motivating, rewarding, and of course, you're going to be learning a lot. If you are very serious about becoming a game developer and you want to work, you know, into like AAA games and you want to work on, on, you know, more low-level stuff and all of that, um, then some foundations of computer science is important, right? So data structures, for instance, how do you, how does data uh, is more like how how to optimize data, for instance, you know, while reading it or or writing it, uh, depending on the size of data and what the data actually is, right? So this is like a whole topic into computer science by itself yeah and this is something that you know learning that could be the difference between between landing a job at a very cool studio and not right um because there is a lot of people that are very good programmers but when you ask them more scientific questions they don't know the reason behind which is totally okay right mm-hmm. but uh, uh some studios and some parts of the studios right for instance an engine developer at Sony, right, or engine developer at Nintendo, uh, those guys are, they not only are excellent developers, but they know math and they know computer science itself super well, right? Mm, um, yeah, I'd imagine. So since today there is so many different things, right? You can be a gameplay developer or audio developer, uh, a, a graphics programmer, an engine programmer, right? So there is so many things that you can get out of it. And some of them, I would say that all of them has a slightly different requirement than the other. Um, so I would say that if you're very hardcore about doing more like, you know, AAA games and, uh, uh, that require you to go to Unreal and do C++ and all of that, I would say that computer science is definitely, uh, something that is, is probably even a requirement, uh, and math as well, right? 3D math. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, that's the only thing that they need, right? They also need scripters and all of that. So those things are like, you, you can always have a different uh, role as well. If you're very into graphics, for instance, then again, math and, and computer science, more based on computer graphics, of course, are extremely necessary. And uh, having that that scientific knowledge certainly will help you advance faster and, and get more jobs in the area. Oh, that is um, some really sound advice. And I hope that anyone listening like really takes this on and prov- finds this useful, really. And uh, just kind of jumping on that, like, I mean, you, you kind of did touch upon this already, but what do you think of the skills that a good coder should have? So, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, other than, than coding, of course, uh, uh, like actually communication, it, it would be one of the, the more uh, uh, special skills and probably mm. even the, the first skill that you need to do as a, as a programmer, right? Because uh, you will never, like, very, very hard, you're going to develop something by yourself. You are always going to have at least other artists, game designers, producers, you know, helping you and uh, uh, working the same team with you with the same goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to explain difficult problems in ways that other people can help you solve those problems is something that is a little bit harder than, than it looks, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's not an easy skill to acquire. 
um, but that is very important, right? And of course, uh, a lot of people have, you know, different personalities. Some people like to talk more, some people like to talk less, and that by itself is definitely not a problem. But being able to communicate technical technical things with non-technical people is something that is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And I saw people that are literally coding genius fail in projects because of this, right? Because they couldn't explain that and they couldn't con uh, finish things, right? Uh, reach a conclusion to what we were doing, right? Because they did their part and their part was great, but because you had to integrate your part with the work of other people, sometimes if you don't communicate well, you cannot do that properly. And then the end result is not as great as it could have been. Um, so definitely communication is something that is extremely good. Mm. And if you want to be a very, very good coder, uh, this is something that I've been talking for a few years with a lot of colleagues uh, uh, and management and other leadership on technical things, right? And, and I strongly believe that uh, uh, a, very, a very difficult skill to teach, uh, but that is extremely required, um, is, is what we call driving things, right? So basically having a problem and driving it to, from beginning to end, right? right? Regardless if that is on your area of, of knowledge or not, right? So just because I don't know how to draw, that doesn't mean that I cannot help uh, uh, an artist, you know, finish his work and integrate his work with the work of other 10 people in order for that to finish uh, and be, you know, concluded, to be finished, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that developers most of the time have to do because, of course, they are the ones that know more the technical limitations on the program or engine side. Uh, so they really need to help, uh, you know, artists, QA, game designers, you know, basically achieve their goals as well. Uh, and this is something that, uh, you know, people that have this usually rise, you know, to, to like a leadership position uh, very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very, very good to have. Well, that's that's great advice. Um, I think the going back to your first point there about the communication is is absolutely key. Like, um, a case in point, one of my main roles is that I'm I'm you know the content writer, so I I I'm also a technical writer. So, communication is a massive thing. I'm constantly uh annoying people. I'd say at this point, nearly just to get information. Um, but it's kind of just to be able to break it down to layman's terms because like I'm I don't consider myself like a super technical person but i know how to kind of translate it across to the public um but it's just trying to figure it out for myself and like i, I find that everyone here has been really really helpful um getting like the message across about really technical stuff um but yeah i, I think communication i do agree i, I think that's a, that's a main thing i'm just gonna be moving on to the question there back to like people who are kind of in the trying to get into the, the game developer industry and the gaming industry itself, how difficult is it to pitch a game to a publisher? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely very difficult. Um, you know, you you it's about, you know, a lot of connections, being the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, time to market and all of that, right? So uh, there is a, a lot of, like, uh, um, conventions and, uh, like, meetings across the world, right? Like uh, a game connection, those kind of uh, conferences yeah. where that that's exactly the point right to connect publishers with uh game developers right so that you can pitch your game and all of that um so not only you know you have to give a you know an, a good idea a good pitch uh, uh you know and and show potential your project right but it even has to do with with time to market right the publishers sometimes they even have kind of a grocery list like oh you know, when we want to launch a 
puzzle game next year, right? Because that's what they're good at, and they believe that that's a, a good thing, right? Uh, to to do as their business plan, right? Or, or let's or, or something like, okay, let's let's focus on you know smaller games that have more reach and more depth, right? Like for instance, uh, uh, Coffee Stains doing a lot of that, right? With the Brocolatic or or uh, Bauheim, right? Games that are uh, uh, extremely deep because they have you know procedure content and all of that right mm-hmm. um so you know they are kind of good at that so they are gonna release and, and try to publish games of that type so you know you're, you're not pitching a a, a, post, a match tree game for them would be not ideal right like they're probably not gonna get it so th- there's a lot a lot to do with those things right yeah and it has to do a lot of of you as a developer as well right where, where your company's from who other people in your company did you do games before or not right uh, so all of that is very difficult for for uh a, let's say a first time sailor now going again to nautical terms uh but a first time sailor um having a prototype is probably the even the most important thing right like having a e- either a part of the game already done or a, or an excellent so not only a, like a box prototype like something ugly no no something that is basically a vertical slice of your game mm-hmm. is, is definitely necessary so that you can convey your message, convey your vision of the game in a way that is undeniably good, right? So that people can play and, and say, okay, you know, these guys know how to develop this, right? These people know how to develop this, sorry. Um, they, they know how to do this. They already did something, you know, a part of it and it looks great. So let's give money and do more of it, right? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the, the, like, as a first-time sailor, that is definitely one of the best ways because, you know, if you're just... If you never did a game, you open a company and you have only a PowerPoint for your idea, it can be the best idea in the world. No one is going to give you money, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, we're going back to being a bit more subjective again. Um, in your opinion, what's the biggest challenge the gaming industry is facing today? And how do you think we can overcome these challenges? Yeah, that, that's a very, very interesting question. Uh, I think that, uh, of course, that I'm looking more to the optics from technology, right? Since I <laughs> work with that. Yeah. Uh, technology is constantly evolving. And now we have things like blockchain, for instance, that are just created a new facet to the whole thing, right? Yeah. A new angle to, to everything that you do. Right. So I think that uh, the gaming industry is facing uh, like constant transformations. Right. And, and this is up from very, the very beginning of it. But, you know, now it, it's, it's again, I think, in another kind of a transformational point where we're going to have different types of games and these games, they need, they have, you know, even kind of different requirements such of, right. Like for instance, security in a blockchain game is, is, you know, a must, right. It needs to be extremely secure. Definitely. So putting all of those things together uh, is definitely a challenge. Right. Um, but if I say so, I think that uh, now thinking of, uh, more as a CTO hat, uh, uh, hiring, I think it should, is probably one of the most, uh, challenging things for the game industry today it's so difficult to to yeah find to find experienced people right uh uh, all comes down of course to 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 you know the 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 history and science and studies right and and how different countries deal with technologies right or or Mm -hmm. studies right like like you know academic studies i mean um and uh it's definitely Right now is has definitely been a trial time, trying time for us uh, finding someone that you know has all of the the, the, the checkbox that we talked here right. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, right? And so we we are always of course trying to identify potential stars that we can hire and and of course grow with us and and you know 
pass a, lot, a little bit of the knowledge and, and hope for for this person to stay with you more, right? And, uh, and enjoy working in your environment and learning and all of that. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's definitely a challenge. Uh, we always have a lot of open positions. That's what I can say. Well, it's a, it's a nice bit of advertising there. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that a, a big problem as well is that people trying to get like experience, like especially straight out of college or even while they're in college. Um, I remember that like I, I only did multimedia, um, you know, created multimedia in college and I did work experience at a radio station as obviously shown through my podcasting, which I hope. Um, but mm-hmm. if, if, I just remember that like a lot of my friends who were in the animation industry as well, they really had a hard time trying to get it uh, like work experience and even just to kind of get their foot in the door. And I know that it's this kind of the same in the gaming industry that like, all yeah. the, like it's, it's just really, really difficult, but there's some really talented people that are out there. Exactly. Yeah. It's very difficult. Uh, and we are always trying to do a little bit of our part by, you know, having interns and, and junior yeah. developers and, and we are trying to, to also help in this direction. Right. But you know, it's, and, and even, you know, uh, it's it's almost impossible to find someone with more than fifteen or twenty years in in the industry, yeah. especially in the in Europe or Asia or South America, right? In North America, of course, that's a little bit different, but you know, in Europe, uh, it's kind of new, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, there are companies from I think early two thousands, and that's about it, right? There are, there aren't a lot of companies from the late nineties or something like this, so you know. Uh, finding someone with a lot of experience is, is definitely hard. That's and because tricky. of all these challenges that we talked today, right, about, you know, always catching up, technology is always changing, you know, working uh, uh, sometimes in a stressful environment with so many people and all of that, there is a lot of people that, are, that leaves the gaming industry after a few years, right? Mm. So finding someone that is, you know, 50 or 60 year old um, is still coding or is still doing great art and all of that, of course, that exists, but it's very difficult to find. It's like a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very difficult. And um, like, yeah, we, we, we've touched upon this already in this episode where that the gaming industry is just, it, it's complex. It's constantly evolving. Technology is evolving. But where do you see the game industry evolve in the next five to 10 years? Um, I suppose you kind of touched upon that with the blockchain, uh, if you wanted to elaborate more. Yeah, that's definitely one one angle of it, one one facet of it. I think I think that uh, blockchains are gonna catch up, and I think that uh, there will be a few games or or, or a, ha- a handful of games that are gonna be successful. I mean, they are gonna create gaming experiences that are amazing, and mm-hmm. and they have a blockchain aspect of it, right? And I think that, you know, uh, that will probably happen uh, the next two or three years, I think. And then that means that in five, 10 years, there will be a lot of people trying to copy that success, right? Yeah. So I think that's one facet of it. Another one is that, uh, you know, machines are getting better. So, you know, uh, PlayStation 5 and uh, Xbox Series X, uh, S, they are getting more closer to what the PCs are, right? Like a high-end PC of, you know, 5,000 euros or something is. They're getting closer and closer by 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 the time so i think that uh you know games are gonna have even more quality which will require you know more money and more people to to develop those Mm -hmm. and i think that one one thing that i know the main the main uh uh, engines right like unity and and unreal are doing is that they're investing a lot of money into teaching right they're into creating resources for people to learn 
uh, on how to use their engines. So my hope and belief is that in the next five to 10 years, um, I think that Unreal is going to be even more mainstream than already is, right? Because uh, of, Unreal is extremely popular for AAA games, right? Yeah. But for instance, in Europe, since we don't have a lot of AAA studios, uh, as compared to Studio OS, right? Uh, that's what I say. Uh, then um, there is it's very hard to, to hire someone with Unreal experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think those things are going to be different. I think that the more we're going to have more people um, that are being able to work... Uh, as a programmer, artist, or, or game designer. And uh, I think the engines are going to be even more mainstream than they already are because they're investing so much into learning uh, and teaching. So, yeah, I, I certainly hope that uh, because of that, uh, in five to ten years, we're going to even see, you know, more games uh, of real quality, like really nice quality being launched, mm. maybe smaller studios as well being more able to do because of the, these tools getting easier and at the same time, more people doing it, right? So smaller studios being able to create great, great experiences, right? So I think that's probably one of the tendencies for, for the future. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting times we live in. Um, And yeah, we're just going to wrap up um here now. But like one thing that, uh, one thing I always like to kind of, end up closing with is uh what's on the horizon for you is if there's is there any big announcements you would like to share or any big news yeah uh, you know starloop uh, we are growing uh, i think that the biggest announcement you know is that we are uh, uh growing and, and getting more and more professional uh so uh, something that we are very happy is that we're trying to bring more and more like for instance senior leadership so we're trying to hire an engineer manager and a technical director for instance um mm-hmm. so on the horizon for us is to 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 provide even better quality for for in everything that we do i think we are already very well known for the quality that we bring to the projects right yeah. technical artistic you know programming all of that i think we are very well known in the market for that magic media as a whole group um and i think we're gonna be evil i think we're gonna even be on another level in six months, for instance, mm. uh, because we're gonna, yeah, we have some really cool plans on how to make that, and I think we're gonna be successful. So, yeah, tackling bigger projects, uh, more AAA projects, and uh, uh, having them e- with even more quality than we are already known for. Yeah, I think that's that's in the close horizon for us. Oh, it's really exciting, and uh, even to kind of be putting these out there on LinkedIn and stuff, and to be working behind the scenes as well, like. I am equally Absolutely. as 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 hyped up as you are to be uh to be sharing this down in a couple of months. Um and yeah, Martin, uh, you've you've given some absolutely amazing advice um throughout this podcast. It's been a really in depth one. It's probably one of my, one of the longer episodes as well. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time for this. To, cl- to close off, if you have, do you have any more advice to share for people trying to get into the gaming industry or aspiring developers who might be listening? Just to finish it off with a. Nice bit of yeah friendly advice. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you, thank you for so much for yeah. Sorry, this is probably longest because I say I, I talk a lot, right? I know that, so <laughs> you're fine. It, the more in depth, the better. This yeah. is great content. No, no, no problem. So I think that one one big advice that that I always give people is to uh, try to be a part of the, the the industry even without being a part of the industry, right? So you know, participate on game jams. Mm-hmm. 
uh, go into forums and try to find people that are like-minded and they want to build a small game with you, right? Uh, try to do a small game from beginning to end. That, you know, if, if, we, if we, you know, us as a company, when we receive your, uh, the CV of someone that actually did a game, it doesn't matter if the game is, you know, one level on each.io or an Android app that no one downloaded, right? But, you know, having launched something, uh, even small, but, you, you know, it was from beginning to end is something that is really important, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. instead of just looking and looking and looking at tutorials and tutorials and tutorials, you know, go into game chance, create a small game, launch on h.io, uh, and then do another one, right? Uh, the, the things that you learn by going through the whole cycle from beginning to end is so much bigger than, you know, starting multiple projects, right? Uh, uh, finishing something always takes so it's so hard to finish something right even again if you're mm -hmm. launching like a tic-tac-toe for for android right do it from beginning to end you're gonna see that you know it's not that easy to, to publish an app in the end right so uh, uh learning being part of that uh, uh you know participating understanding talking to people uh, that are like-minded and then they, they want to help you there right again going into communication right participating in, yeah. in, the, in those things uh, will certainly uh, uh, help you get a door in the industry, right? Um, and uh, uh, yeah, they always catch the eyes of people that are, 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 you know, hiring and they want to see good people join, right? That that shows commitment. That shows that you, you know, you you did not only the cool part but also the boring part, right? Like uh, doing the gameplay yeah, is nice, yeah. but sometimes you know preparing SDKs to be integrated, yeah, that's not that that fun. But you know, you have to do it. So uh, showing that you did all of the work. Um, is something that is extremely valuable. And I, yeah, I think that's a good idea to have on the, you know, in your baggage when you talk to companies uh, and present yourself. Wow, that was some absolutely fantastic advice. It's all glamour here. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show again and just talking about the interesting world of game development. I, I really, really appreciate this. Um, so if just closing off, if people want, wanted to contact you, where should they look? Yeah, honestly, just at my, my LinkedIn or email. I'm not a social media guy, sorry. Uh, so yeah, uh, martin.fabshack, uh, probably you guys are reading there in the name, uh, at startupstudios.com. Uh, so yeah, very glad to be able to to answer uh, any questions or anything that you are looking for. I always take time to to answer people that wants to you know uh, have a shot at the game industry or they want to have advice on how they start. I'm always trying. I'm always doing my best to to reply to them. Uh, so yeah, feel free to to do that. That's great. Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you so much, Josh. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Well, that was another fantastic episode. Another big thanks to Martin from Startup Studios for joining us on the podcast. We hope you found this both informative and entertaining. Be sure to catch up with our previous episodes, which are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Buzzsprout and Spotify. And don't forget to stay tuned for next month's episode. We'll be sharing more information over the coming weeks on all social media, so be sure to give us a like, share, and most importantly, a listen.